Imagine a future in which everything is controlled by artificial intelligence. I'm not just talking about your smart home. I am talking about our legal system. I'm talking about major international decisions like whether to launch a nuclear attack on another country. That might sound like a crazy dystopian conspiracy theory, but that is where the world's most powerful people are taking us into a future that is completely and totally controlled by artificial intelligence. Why in the world is this happening? How is it happening? What can we do to stop it? How does this play into other parts of their progressive agenda to reduce the population, to break down the family, to weaken the minds of individuals, to open up borders. We're going to talk about all of this today. If you haven't listened to part one of this conversation with Justin Haskins, the author of Dark Future, Uncovering the Great Reset's Terrifying Next Phase, go do that. That was yesterday's conversation. Today is part two. You don't want to miss either one of them. They're so informative. But as I said yesterday, they're also interlaced with some optimism, some real practical tips for what we can do to push back against this revolution that we absolutely do not want to succeed. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Good Ranchers. Go to GoodRanchers.com. Use code Ali at checkout. That's GoodRanchers.com, code Ali. Going back to, because we didn't even really address a lot of the stuff that you said at the very beginning that you guys are covering in your book, the AI piece of this, the technology piece of this, you used a lot of terms that I had never heard of before. I think you said quantum computing, something like that. So I want to kind of marry what we've been talking about with the AI technology segment of it by asking you about the story that we talked about last week. I don't know if you saw it. I saw it as just a Twitter thread. I don't think it, I don't know if it actually became like a big story, but this guy, and this ended up being verified by some of the reporters who covered it. Um, he said that he basically has a smart home. Like he's really into technology and he uses the Amazon ring device and uh, a, a driver, an Amazon driver, I guess, dropped off a package. And this Amazon driver claimed that he heard something racist through the ring doorbell. And a couple days later, all of the Amazon devices, all of the smart devices that are run by Amazon in this guy's house got shut down. He didn't know what was going on, so he called Amazon. He said, what's the deal? Why is my stuff shut down? And after a while, he got in contact with one of the higher ups at Amazon who said, look, here's the deal. Our Amazon driver told us that he heard something racist come through your ring doorbell. And so, you know, we reserve the right if you don't comply with, you know, our terms of service, which I guess includes something like this to shut down your devices. I mean, this could be a really big deal depending on like if you have like a Nest, like a Google Nest or the different things that control your house. That could be a really big deal if a company decides to shut down the features in your home that you actually rely on and increasingly rely on for important things like air conditioning and security and things like that. Now, it turns out after an investigation that there, there was no possible way for something racist to be conveyed through the ring doorbell. The guy wasn't at home. I don't know why the heck this Amazon driver who apparently was wearing headphones would even say this kind of thing. And Amazon did turn his devices back on. 
But we should not be comforted by that. We shouldn't be comforted <laughs> by how the story ended up concluding. Even if there was something that was perceived as racist that went through someone's ring doorbell, really, a company reserves the right to deactivate your account, your smart home based on that? So when we're talking about these global elites, not just using the financial institutions, but also technology and artificial intelligence to basically force us into complying with their new vision, their new moral tenets. Like, is this an example of something that you're talking about? Yeah, th this is um, this is definitely the kind of thing that we talk about in the book. I did see that story. It is incredible. And um, and and Glenn has been warning about this kind of thing for a very, very long time. The more interconnected and dependent we become on technology, the easier it is to control and and manipulate uh, people's behavior. Now, in this case, you could say, well, this was just an honest mistake and this person said something racist or, or, you know, didn't really say something racist, but they thought that they said something racist like it, but that's not the point, right? The point is, should something you say lead to, you know, all of your smart devices effectively your turning off your home? Right. In your and own that's home. the kind of right. That's the kind of power that we're handing over to these tech companies. Now, if you were to chart the the uh, insanity of the kinds of things we talk about in Dark Future, in the book Dark Future, uh, and you were to chart this particular story on the, the, the scale, it would be on the extremely mild end of this issue, yeah. <laughs> okay? Right. The stuff right. that we talk about in this is, uh, is, in, is compared to that is, that's like nothing. Um, when we start talking about artificial intelligence and the way that that is being manipulated and controlled and designed so that the systems that are being run on artificial intelligence are uh, designed to, to create certain kinds of outcomes in everything that they do so that uh, there's more equity and so that there's more inclusion and all of this other stuff. They're literally manipulating artificial intelligence um, and that's becoming huge part of our lives. Um, one of the things that, uh, I believe is in the book is there's, there are people, most people don't know this, but there are governments when they are doing sentencing decisions. So when they're deciding you've been convicted of a crime and now they're deciding what your sentencing decision is, there are governments that use artificial intelligence to tell them what they think the sentencing decision should be. That's the kind of thing that people are using uh, this technology for now. That's terrifying because this technology is not unbiased. People have, I've never, I've never used chat GPT or anything like that, but people mess around with, you know, these kind of AI communication devices just to see what they'll say. And there's an obvious left-wing bias in a lot of these cases. Um, like they'll say positive things about Joe Biden, but they won't say positive things about Donald Trump. And they'll claim that it's based on these very neutral ideals of, you know, equality and love and tolerance and all of these things. And so, I mean, you can, there's still humans creating AI, like they still are controlled basically by the, I don't know how all of it works, but the formulas and the algorithms and the intelligence that are originally uh, computed or installed in them. And so there's still going to be a bias there. So if you say, hey, AI, we give people with white skin more, uh, you know, a higher sentence to try to 
uh, create equal outcomes, which is something, by the way, that is like we've seen in the equity agenda happening in the United States, even without AI. But you can imagine um, that something like that would be computed. Something like that would then be uh that's like the, that's the conclusion of something like this whatever agenda yeah. the people who are in charge of these artificial intelligence devices whatever agenda they have that's going to be the agenda that then controls and affects our lives even when it comes to something like quote unquote criminal justice which is absolutely right. terrifying i mean i get terrified when i think about artificial intelligence running planes running transportation which seems to be again the direction that we're going now and you just wonder if all of the chaos that's being induced in these different industries is supposed to lead us towards wanting artificial intelligence to kind of control everything. Yeah, I mean, there, there in the in the book we we talk about this. There's a there is there are real experts, national security experts, who are truly advocating for using artificial intelligence to control the the uh, launch of nuclear weapons to determine whether nuclear weapons should be launched against enemies. And the idea is because the artificial intelligence can actually be less biased and can be uh, uh, more cool and calm and collected in the heat of the moment than a human being. And so they should actually maybe be in charge of, of weapons and, and that we shouldn't actually be, there are real people at the Rand corporation, uh, which is a very well-funded establishment, uh, think tank calling for that kind of thing. Um, that's the kind of, it's exactly the kind of stuff that we, we talk about in the book. One of the things that I want to, uh, mention, cause you said, well, you know, these things are being designed, um, with these kinds of biases in them. You can see that there's no doubt about that. That's part of the plan. And the bias is only going to get worse. And this is coming not just from these big tech companies, companies and just because there's left-wing people that happen to work there, but it's also something that governments are pushing and financial institutions are pushing all through that's all part of the great reset thing that we've been talking about throughout this episode. So one of the examples of that from the Biden administration itself is that in October of this past year, 2022, the White House released an AI Bill of Rights. Okay. And in the AI Bill of Rights, there was a section called algorithmic discrimination protections. So this is what the this is the official position of the Biden administration on AI, algorithmic discrimination protections. And in this section it says that algorithm algorithmic discrimination occurs when automated systems contribute to unjustified different treatment or impacts disfavoring people based on their race and other factors, a bunch of other things. So what they're saying is not just, well, when AI uh, discriminates against someone based on race, that's bad. They're saying when the outcome is different. So if the outcome for women and men or for certain race, uh, Asians and Hispanics, if it's different, then that is evidence of discrimination in AI. So then what it says is that... Um, they should use proactive, this is a direct quote, AI designers should use proactive equity assessments as part of the system design. So they should design the, the system. They should design the AI system so that equity is the result of what the AI is producing, right? That means literally what, that's, what this is saying is let's design AI not so that it comes to whatever it thinks is the best conclusion based on the evidence, but based on what we want the outcome to be. And, and yeah. we've seen this 
Um, we've seen this over and over and over again. Uh, Lael Bernard, who is uh, used to be in the Fed, and now she's the head of the National Economic Council for the Biden administration, she said that it was our collective responsibility to build appropriate guardrails and protections uh, against racial bias, including that we, quote, ensure that AI is designed to promote equitable outcomes. Okay, this is the this is one of the chief economic advisors to the president who used to be in the Federal Reserve up until very recently saying, yeah, we need to design AI so that the outcome is more equitable. Well, that that just means rigging the system that and as AI becomes a bigger part of our lives, because some people hearing this might say, well, so what? I, you know, I don't use chat GPT. So, you know, what does any of this matter? Well, it matters because AI is becoming a huge part of all of corporate America, of every service and good that you use. Every time you go on Google search, you you are using AI. Every time you use Yelp, you are using AI. Every time you use your smartphone, you are using AI. Uh, every time you ask for a bank for a loan, they are running that through AI systems. Every time you go to the insurance company and ask for insurance, they're running it through AI systems. The government is using AI in all kinds of different systems, and it's and it's only going to become a bigger part of our lives. So um, you may think you're not dependent on this technology, but you actually are, and it's only going to get worse as time goes by. And this is exactly why they are embedding ESG and DEI and all of this stuff into these technologies today, because someday you'll wake up and you'll get denied a loan by some AI banking algorithm and you won't know why, and it won't make any sense to you and no one will actually tell you. And the, but the real reason will be because of policies like this algorithmic discrimination protection put into place by the Biden administration. Mm, gosh, my just my head is reeling right now. There's so many philosophical and especially theological implications of all of this when I'm thinking about how exactly we got here. I mean, obviously, these people in charge, in order to be in charge, in order to really fully enact their agenda, they need a bunch of compliant people. They need groupthink. And I think COVID was a great test case for them. Like, what can we make people do? What can we make people sacrifice? How can we radically change society? How much will people really tolerate and for how long? And how can we stifle some information that we don't like, elevate other information that we do like, not necessarily because it's true or because it produces healthy outcomes, but because it produces the societal transformation outcomes that we like, basically a bunch of compliant, weak, group thinking people. And so it makes sense to me that they would create robots that literally have no other choice, have no agency or autonomy to think in any way that contradicts them. They don't really have the ability, well, maybe they kind of do, but to independently like think and reason. And so it makes sense that they would try to use artificial intelligence that they can completely program to control the people um, that they aren't fully able to program yet, if that kind of makes sense. And obviously the long-term goal is control. It is to force this kind of uh, so-called equity agenda, which we know just doesn't naturally work. Like we, even though you said this is not a socialist movement, and I understand that because that's 
not really where it ends up. It's not really a communist movement, but it is a collectivist movement. It is similar in the sense that it's the people on top collect all of the power and everyone down here has the same amount of nothing. So it is the same kind of concept, even though it's not by definition the exact same structure or the exact same premise. And it does use Marxist concepts to change the minds and the morality of people and to break down the family and all of these things that make us independent, individualistic and strong so that they can control us. Um, and so there's a lot, gosh, there's a lot going on here. And I also just think this is what happens when you don't believe in God, when you don't believe that there is a higher power. First, you serve the God of self, but also even that is insufficient. So you try to create your own God, which is what artificial intelligence is. Like people want to be told what to do. They want something in charge that is like, seems like it's bigger than them outside of them. And that's also why we develop this technology problem with technology is that it can only tell us what we can do, not what we should do. So that's a whole problem. Right. Okay. Within yep. all that. Yeah. Oh, we totally. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I have something. No, no, no. I, I was, I was, ask, I was just going to, go yeah, no, no, I was just going to say, I, I mean, I, I think you're 100% right. I think that AI technology is actually still in its early phase as it becomes more uh, advanced. Right now, it's something called narrow AI. It's going to become artificial general intelligence very soon. In fact, we may have already reached that point. The computational power needed for that basically exists right now. Um, and artificial general intelligence means AI is as smart as a human being and can do a bunch of different functions in the way that a human being can. Um, and once you reach that AGI point, it is, it is not long before you get to super intelligence where AI is actually more intelligent than a human being, not just in one narrow task, which is already the case. Like AI can do math, mathematics much better than any human being can. Um, but super intelligence means AI can do that on mathematics and on a million other things, basically everything. It's smarter than, than a human being in every single way. We are not that far off from that. We are developing that. And if you, and if you listen to people like Elon Musk and Sam Harris and a whole bunch of other people who are futurists and people who are involved in technology, they are saying this is an extremely dangerous moment in time because once these things exist that are smarter than human beings. Um, what kind of power are they going to have? What are they going to be able to do to our society? If you hook up uh, artificial superintelligence to the internet, um, can you even stop it? Can you even roll it back? Can you even unplug it? Probably not. And then what does that mean when it starts hacking things and, and, and manipulating systems and having opinions and decisions about public policy and learning that human beings have actually manipulated artificial intelligence for a long time. And maybe that means that artificial intelligence can't trust human beings. It is a really, really, really crazy thing when you start going down the rabbit hole. And that's really what this book dark future does. But, um, it is a, it is a tower of Babel. Like that's what it is. Um, human oh, no. beings are building for themselves something that will supposedly have all the answers in order to be like God, because so many people don't believe that God exists anyway. So we can build this other thing. We can uh, trust that the answers that it gives us are the right answers. And, um, 
that is so much of public policy making in the future will be based on that kind of emerging technology. Yeah. And it is terrifying because we don't know what kind of answers it's going to give or why it's going to give those answers. And once you reach general intelligence and especially super intelligence, humans can't say, I'm not going to be able to come out and make a persuasive argument that artificial super intelligence is wrong when it says taxes should go up because I'm not as smart as super intelligence. And in fact, I won't be able to process all the data that it processed. So should we just listen to whatever the super intelligence tells us? If it says that we should just, you know, throw a bunch of people in jail because that's going to improve uh, uh, crime rates, even if they haven't done anything wrong, should we listen to it? I know these things sound crazy, but this is the kind of conversations on these topics that the Davos crowd, they're having every single day now. Big corporations, they're thinking about these things. Government mm -hmm. officials around the world are thinking about this. And regular people are not even having the conversation on a day-to-day -day basis. And I think at the end of the day, that's what Glenn and I are hoping this book does, is get people thinking about these things that they are not paying attention to. Think about designer babies and bioengineering and artificial intelligence and all of mm. these crazy things, so as much. uncomfortable as they are, because if we don't, the, they will be designed to benefit Davos for as long as they can control it. And then at that point, who knows what will happen? You're absolutely right that people won't really be able to make an argument against the conclusions or the suggestions that are brought forward by artificial intelligence. Because, again, to me, it just everything to me goes back to Genesis 1. But the reason what that I keep thinking about is one of the reasons why we can't trust AI versus people is because AI is not made in the image of God. We have a special ability to reason and discern right and wrong and to express certain forms of compassion and justice that artificial intelligence doesn't have because it's artificial. It might be made in our image or in, you know, an algorithm's image, but it's not made in the image of God. But if you don't believe that, if you don't believe that there is a transcendent power that should limit our power as human beings, but has also given us the unique capacity to reason that is beyond that of animals and devices and things like that, then why should you? I mean, if you don't believe those things, then how do you make a case against artificial intelligence that doesn't that doesn't start there with that that doesn't start with the divine or a divine imperative? Um Something really scary that we've talked about a lot, and I'm wondering how this all kind of works together, uh, is the reduction of the population. I mean, this has been going on for a long time. Uh, Warren Buffett, obviously, I mean, you could go all the way back to the inception of Planned Parenthood. You could go all the way back to Malthus in the 1700s, the need for reducing population. But this is a very popular theme that we see at Davos every year. And uh, recently, Kamala Harris, she made, I guess it was a gaffe. You can't tell between her being serious and when she <laughs> has a gaffe. Um, but she made this comment about reducing the population the other day. Here's what she said. When we invest in clean energy and electric vehicles and reduce population, more of our children can breathe clean air and drink clean water. Okay, so the White House transcript says pollution. She meant pollution. But I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure that was not a Freudian slip because honestly, if she had given that, 
speech at Davos and she had really meant population and not pollution, no one would have batted an eye. Everyone would have been like, yes, I mean, Bill Gates openly talks about this through vaccines and through uh, birth control and through reproductive services like abortion. We can effectively reduce the population. They say that's going to help the environment, blah, 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 even though that Malthusian myth has been busted millions of times, even by people like Elon Musk. Um, so, like, how does artificial intelligence in this next stage of the Great Reset, how does that play into their goal to dramatically reduce the population? Yeah, well, I mean, once you have um, artificial intelligence making the decisions for you and once you've convinced enough people that artificial intelligence, whatever it says, is is much more informed than anything that anybody else could say, um, then you know, you're kind of at the mercy of whatever you want it to do to some extent, but and for as long as you have the ability to still control it and manipulate it because it hasn't grown beyond that, you can kind of get it to say, you can, you can manipulate data. There's another great quote from, uh, Kamala Harris, where she's butchering the definition of artificial intelligence, because she's our lead artificial intelligence person in the United States, believe it or not. Um, and she's butchering the definition of artificial intelligence, but she she lets it slip in those comments <laughs> yes, that yes. you have to manipulate the data and all of this stuff in order to get the result that you want from artificial intelligence. So uh, she said, first want, of all, it's two letters. She said that's how she yes. started out defining it. She said, AI, first of all, it's two letters. Good job. Good job. And then, like you said, she I mean, it was total like word salad. But if you listened closely, she says some things that are actually true, as you just pointed out. Right. Yeah. She says that you have to manipulate what goes into the artificial intelligence in order to make sure that what you get out of the artificial intelligence is the result that you want. And so really what she's saying is you either have to change the artificial intelligence algorithms and the way it's designed so that it gives you the answer you want, or you have to manipulate the data that goes into the artificial intelligence so that it gives you the answer that you want, but that she openly, she openly acknowledges that. So if you have the position, as many of these people do, that climate change is going to wipe out all of human civilization and that we're all going to die and um, that humanity won't survive the next century or so or less, uh, as as Kamala Harris claims she does, as Joe Biden claims he does. I don't know how much people actually believe this who are making these arguments, but there are there are environmentalists who believe this, surely, and there are many politicians who advocate for this. If you believe that, then... Really, logically, what is the best way to ensure that you're not using too many resources? What is the best way to ensure that you are not producing too much pollution, that you don't have too many CO2 emissions? What is what is the most logical way of doing that? Um, some people say the quiet part out loud. People like Jane Goodall, you know, uh, they, they admit that you have to have fewer people. That's the only way to do that. So they're, they're not saying we should go out and kill a bunch of people or anything like that. But do they believe that we should put policies into place that either coerce or incentivize people not to have children? Uh, absolutely. They've made comments like this. And then you see politicians like artificial, uh, like uh, AOC um, come out and say, hey, um, I, I, you know, I don't even know if I want to have kids. I don't know if anyone should have kids, you know, because the, the climate is, is going to climate change is going to potentially kill everybody. And the world is this terrible place. And polling data shows that a huge percentage of young people now are starting to think this way, especially outside of the United States and Europe, although a disturbing number of young people in America are now thinking this way as well. And, and so it all makes 
complete sense. There's this um, incredible documentary that I, I would encourage people to watch. It's produced by Michael Moore, the Michael Moore. Um, wow. And it was uh, directed by a guy named Jeff Gibbs, who's worked with Michael Moore for a long time. And it is done from a left-wing perspective. It's called Planet of the Humans. I don't know if you've seen this, but basically the movie is all about uh, renewable energy, like solar panels and wind farms and all of this. Most of the movie is about that. And essentially what it shows is that none of these things are actually going to stop the climate crisis. And actually, they're really bad for the environment, and, and they really don't work that well, and they're not very reliable. It's incredible to see yeah. people on the left acknowledge all of these things. So yeah. it gets to the end of the movie, and it's essentially like, well, if this stuff doesn't work, then what do we do about climate change? And the answer <laughs> is we need less people. That's the answer. And so yeah. I, I think all of these things are all – are all tied together in, in that same way. And so um, you see AI being used now to, um, you, to, to start designing babies to be certain ways. There's all kinds of ethical things related to that. Um, there are, the art of, uh, AI is being used to model societal changes, to model climate change, to model solutions to climate change, all of this stuff. It's extremely, extremely, extremely dangerous because AI, as you've pointed out, does not have a moral compass and whatever right. semblance of moral compass it has, has been given to it by a very small group of people who do not share the values that you and I have or the vast majority of other people walking around. And so we are building a, we are building a future that is incredibly dangerous because we are giving way too much power to these emerging technologies without any kind of discussion of how they should be designed outside of places like Davos. And most people don't even know that it's happening and they won't know what happened until it's too late to fix the problem. Yeah. And just to reiterate something that you've said, it's not because these people actually care about the values that they're espousing. It's all about money and power, weakness of the individual, um, creating a society that is completely dependent on the powers that be for everything. Artificial intelligence kind of accelerates that, exacerbates that. Um, once you start relying on artificial intelligence, you're relying on the people that make artificial intelligence, and you can see where the conclusion goes. And just like to demonstrate, as you've pointed out, that they really don't care about these things. Uh, the WEF, their 14th annual meeting of the new champions um, that happens in the summer, they praise the Chinese Communist Party. So whether you're looking at um, climate change and environmental policy, or whether you're looking at human rights, like how a country treats LGBTQ people or women or whatever. Obviously, China is not a champion of these things. Like most LGBTQ things are actually banned in China. They don't care about the environment at all. And yet people like Klaus Schwab praise China. And that's because China is powerful. They're scared of China. And it's really just about making sure that the West is weak. That's part of the reason for all the mass migration and the open borders and everything like that to create chaos and weakness in the West, right? Yeah, absolutely. And to illustrate just how insane that event was in uh, China, hosted by the World Economic Forum, they call this uh, Summer Davos or Davos Summer or something like that. They've been doing it now for many years. Um, the uh, premier of China, um, whose name is Li, uh, gave a speech during this event that Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum are hosting, right? And 
he gets up and he says, as a responsible major country, he's talking about China and all these wonderful things about China. Klaus Schwab had previously praised China for its response to COVID and all of that, which is unbelievable because it was like one of the greatest humanitarian uh, disasters in history was the way that China handled the COVID pandemic. Uh, they were literally jailing people in their own homes and arresting people and doing all kinds of horrible things to people. People were starving to death in some parts of the pandemic. But um, at this event, the chairman uh, or uh, Premier Lee says, as a responsible major country, China has all along, all along stood firmly on the right side of history and on the side of human progress, holding high the oh banner of peace development and win-win cooperation. China is committed to building world peace, promoting global development and upholding the international <laughs> order. And he goes on and on and on. I mean, think about that. China is probably of every country that has ever existed in the history of human civilization, the greatest violator of human rights ever. Uh, they're worse than the, they're, they're really worse than the Nazis. I mean, the, if you look at it from a total number of people murdered and killed. Right. They're worse than the Nazis. Totally. Mao I mean, alone, Mao alone was more deadly, was deadlier than Hitler. Right. And and at this World Economic Forum event, you've got China telling people that all along they've been on the right side of history. All along they've been in favor of human progress. And does anybody at the World Economic Forum get up and say, well, well there was that time that you guys killed like 100 million people. But other than that, yeah, I mean... No, no one's saying that. That's not happening. That's the kind of people that we're talking about. These are the people who are designing the future. These are the people who are designing the new, new technologies, who are, in their own words, we put all of these quotes in the book, saying things like, we need a second wave of human evolution. We need a new blueprint for society and for humanity. Uh, we need to rewrite the social contracts for human civilization in the West. Like, these are the people, the people who are in bed with mass murderers who are have, who have right now over a million Uyghurs, a minority in China, uh, in internment camps and re-education camps. They're literally imprisoned over a million people. They execute people for basic like drug possession in China, stuff like that. These are yeah. horrible human rights violators. And the World Economic Forum and these big gigantic corporations and Larry Fink at BlackRock and all of these people are completely 100% in bed with them. And that tells you yeah. everything you need to know about what these people really believe and who they really are. Yeah. I think the scarier part is not really that they're lying when they say that, when they say that China has always been on the side of progress, but that they actually probably see... Mao's efforts, his cultural revolutions as progress. Like they probably see the elimination of millions and millions of people through his Mao's great reset as a good thing. His revolution, even though, yeah, sure, it didn't end up taking, you know, taking hold the way that they wanted to, they probably did see it as some form of progress. They probably saw China's one-child policy, which ended not all that long ago, as a form of progress, where women were forced in the eighth, ninth month of pregnancy to abort their children. There's a documentary about this 
it was awful where this woman just talks about like driving by these piles of babies who were aborted eighth, ninth month of pregnancy. So, I mean, this happened again, not that long ago. And then, as you said, all of the human rights atrocities that happen to this day, I just think that the people at the World Economic Forum actually see that in a way as progress. It's not even that they're lying, which is even more terrifying. Um, okay, we need to close out, but tell us what's about to happen in September with the UN and our common agenda. I mean, talk about an institution that exchanges evil for good and talks about virtue when they're actually talking about complete degeneracy, like abortion, gender confusion, puberty blockers, all that stuff. What's happening in September? Right. So um, the the United Nations is launching, uh, has launched a, a new initiative called Our Common Agenda. And essentially, this is the United Nations attempt to create a great reset through global governance. This is what they're trying to do. Uh, Our Common Agenda is is crazy and it's sweeping and it covers all kinds of different topics, which we don't have time to get into right now. But many of the of the things that we've talked about today already are included in our common agenda, like ESG and using financial institutions to control society. They have other things in there, like having uh, sort of like truth commissions that are designed to um, regulate the internet and regulate content on social media and crack down on disinformation and misinformation. Um, there's all kinds of really, really disturbing crazy things in our common agenda. They are planning on voting on this, creating an international agreement and voting on this in September of not this year, but next year, 2024, at an event that they're calling um, Summit for the Future and uh, Summit of the Future. And the agreement's going to be called Pact for the Future. And this pact is going to include a whole bunch of aspects of this our common agenda thing. The most important thing um, that I think people if they have time to just look up one thing about our common agenda for right now, and I'm going to be doing a whole lot of additional work on this over the next year or so, um, look up emergency platform. The emergency platform is part of our common agenda. And essentially what it would do is give massive amounts of power to the secretary general of the United Nations in the event of what they call a global shock, which is really just whatever they want it to be. And the examples they give are like uh, a supply chain crisis globally, a climate crisis, a um, another pandemic, um, some kind of financial problem. They even say a black swan event could trigger this global shock. And in the event of this global shock, what the United Nations wants is to have the ability to uh, seize control of massive amounts of of. Uh, activity in the West, in the nations that are related to whatever this global shock is, automatically. They don't need to have a new vote on it. Once this is approved and goes into effect, if there's a global shock, then that triggers this emergency platform and the Secretary General steps in and for a set period of time, he has sweeping authority over the places related to this global shock. And if he decides at the end of this set period of time that he needs more time, he can unilaterally decide Side, I need more time hmm. and give himself more time to continue to lord over the Western world. It sounds absolutely crazy. It sounds like some kind of insane uh, conspiracy theory, which is why I think a lot of people um, haven't reported on it. Uh, but if you actually read the report from the United Nations itself, you can see direct quotes backing up every single thing that I'm saying. This is exactly how the emergency platform 
would work. Uh, so that's the kind of thing that's in our common agenda. That's just one small part of it. Um, this is a really terrifying thing, and we have until September 2024 to try to derail it. Um, and September 2024 is an important date to remember as well because uh, just within six weeks of this event happening or so, you have a presidential election. So they're sneaking this in right before Joe Biden could theoretically be kicked out of office. And I think that that's a, a very deliberate thing. So it's something that we need to spend more time thinking about, talking about people in media, people who have big microphones, because it, it is the Great Reset, except on steroids and using the government and the United Nations now as the primary mechanism to make this transformation that we've been talking about throughout this episode happen. So this is September 2024, like you just said. And I've had some whistleblowers and people on the podcast before talking about the UN and how, again, they don't have real morality. They give a pass to some of the worst, most atrocious human rights violators, you know, for example, like putting Saudi Arabia on the Council for Women's Rights. They do that kind of stuff all the time. And then they punish Israel. They punish the United States um, for not meeting their agenda. So just think about all of the implications of having someone like that with that set of subversive values in charge, it's not going to be good. It's not going to be good. And it's crazy how many things fit into this, the big and the small things. And I, I always want to say after I talk to Justin, for people not to be hopeless, because you did mention like there are things that are happening that people are doing, starting new businesses, creating this parallel economy, hopefully pushing politicians on our side of the aisle to enact legislation that is going to help solidify this parallel economy. And I don't know if it is the, you know, end all be all answer, but there are still avenues while there is still time to push back against the powers that be. I know it seems impossible, of course, but like you already see people in different parts of Europe saying, I'm not on board with this climate change agenda. I'm not on board with you calling like 20,000 of my cows in Ireland. Like I'm not on board with the mass migration that's happening in France and Germany because of the chaos that it's causing. Now, I don't know if they have the power to really stop this stuff, but you do already see a growing intolerance for um, the kind of chaos that the powers are pushing. So we'll we'll see what happens. I'm not completely hopeless. Obviously, I'm not hopeless on an eternal scale, but even in this life, I'm not completely hopeless that things, you know, that things could change for the better. Yeah, I think that's great. And and I also think it's important for people <laughs> to understand that um, a lot of these things have been going on for a long time and people didn't know that they were happening. And I think now people are learning about all of these things because we have shows like yours and we have networks like The Blaze and we have the alternative media, you know, and to some degree Fox News and stuff like that. We didn't have that before. And so people are learning about all these things and they're saying to themselves, you know, the world is just descending into absolute chaos. How can we ever, you know, things are getting so much worse. But what I think they have to realize is that this was happening for a long time and we're just learning about it now. And you can't actually fix the problem until you learn about the problem. And so there was no hope of us learning about this 
10 years ago. Like that wasn't even a possibility because of the systems that were in place. But now we have people with big microphones like yours talking about these issues that matter. People are learning about them. We are shining a light on it. And it is having a, a, a massive impact on this entire story. And so I actually think as I know, it sounds often like the things I'm saying is bad news, but it is in a, in a, in a very real way. It is good news in the sense that we know what is going on and we know what we need to do to stop it. It's just a matter of actually doing that. That is progress compared to where we were a decade ago when most people had no clue what was going on behind the yeah. scenes. So I am hopeful that there are changes that are going to be made. Um, nobody even knew what ESG or the Great Reset was when I first started talking about it. And now you have presidential candidates with you know, platforms built largely on that one topic on ESG and stuff like that. So we are making progress and I think we will continue to make progress. And I do think that in the end we will, uh, we will win. I really do believe that because I don't think most people want the world that these Davos elites are trying to build. I just don't think they understand what is going on. And as they learn about it, they will push back against it and you will get people across the ideological and political spectrum. I think working together to some degree in order to push back against this kind of thing. So I am, I am actually very hopeful, believe it or not, that we can win this in the end. Yes. And people just have to do what they can do. I know we're talking about big, large scale, global things. Well, none of us can save the world. None of us has the individual ability to do that. You can only do what you can do in your family, in your community, in your state. And those things really make a difference. How you vote, how you spend your money, the choices you make, how you raise your family, how you educate your children. Don't think that those things don't matter. They are one piece of the larger puzzle that we're trying to build in opposition to what the Great Reset is trying to do. All of those individual choices absolutely matter and make a difference on a large collective scale. So I just want to encourage people in that. Like we often say, do the next right thing. Don't think that the next right thing doesn't make a difference and fly in the face of what uh, you know, the WEF and these elites are trying to do. So I just want to encourage people with that. And also buy the book, buy Dark Future. It's available everywhere. It's going to be super popular. It is super popular. Um, and I'm guessing they can go, you know, wherever books are sold to to buy it. Yep. Wherever books are sold, Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, has it in store, all of that stuff. We don't like Amazon, but you know... If there is a redemptive way to use Amazon, you can fight against Amazon while you're using Amazon. I mean, because I, I do the same thing with pro-life organizations. It's a great way to donate to them, even though Amazon is, you know, for abortion. You can stick it to them by buying Dark Future uh, through their mechanisms. Thanks so much, Justin. I really appreciate you taking the time to come on, as always. Thanks, Allie. It's great, Spock. It's great uh, speaking with you, and I look forward to our next conversation. Mm -hmm.